Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 192, recorded January 31st, 2015. So today we do our second Wildstorm episode, and we finish off Perchance to Dream, and we start up Deep Space Nine in Vector. Yes, it's uh, it, it's nice wrapping up Perchance to Dream. Um, I think it was a little longer than it should have been, but uh, it'll be nice to wrap this up to see exactly how... Picard is able to save the day, and then uh, the new Envector story arc, which is um, the biggest thing that hits me in the face is the artwork. It's quite a bit different than what we're used to. Quite a bit different. <laughs> it's taken me some time to get used to it. Right. But, uh, yes. Violently opposed to it when I first was reading it, but uh, after two issues in, I'm I'm starting to get used to it. Right. Yep, same here. Yeah. You just got to get used to the almost hobgoblin-y look. Everybody looks kind of monsterish, especially the Ferengi. <laughs> the Ferengis look monstrous. I agree with that. And everybody else just looks weird and <laughs> not accurate at all. And, uh, well, whatever. We'll talk about it when we get to them. Right. But first we have, perchance, dream number four. Yes. Enterprises of great pitch and moment. Indeed. So you want to go ahead and jump into that synopsis, and then we can finish that one off? Please, let's do. The pencil art is by Peter Prokmos and Scott Benefiel. Inking was done by Lucille Rizzo and Jason Martin. Letter art by Naghim Zand. Color art by Wildstorm FX. And the cover was by Tim Bradstreet. Editor, Jeff Morardi. Alright, so the cover shows Picard's face in the foreground. Behind him, we see kind of like the torso and face of Locutus. And behind that, we see a close-up of Picard's head during the assimilation process. So we see like a spike going into the temple of his head. So the story starts with Picard giving us a nice little recap of the situation up to that point. The Enterprise helping out a planetary leader avoid being assassinated when they themselves were targeted by an alien weapon known as the Shava. The Shava was implanted into a Vulcan telepathically, who then infected everyone she touched due to Vulcans being touched telepaths. The Shava causes those infected to go mad due to a bombardment of bad dreams and hallucinations. Crusher and Data have discovered a possible cure, but it will require the assistance of a person suffering from multiple personality disorder. Picard is the closest person they have that meets that criteria, since he has been assimilated, had his mind taken over by an alien probe, and has had a a very intense mind meld with Sarek. Once the recap is over, Picard relinquishes command to Crusher and informs his staff not to follow any of his commands until Crusher gives the all-clear bill of health. 
Dr. Salar will be required to mind meld with Picard and the original Vulcan, here out referred to as Patient Zero, uh, who was infected with the Shava originally. She thinks it will be best to perform the mind meld in the brig. En route to the brig, Patient Zero touches Data, who then goes unresponsive and walks away from the group. Security is tasked with keeping an eye on him, though everyone is surprised that the Shava can affect an android. In the brig, Salar performs the mind meld, and Picard is confronted with the three other minds in his head. We see Locutus of Borg, uh, Kamen of the uh, Inner Light episode, and Sarek. The four of them are then joined by a green-skinned Daminonian who introduces herself as Shava. Shava tries to feed the Picard mind with doubt and fear, but each time one of the other minds is unaffected and counters. Shava is overwhelmed and is put into submission. Kamen comments how easy this was when Lacutus makes his move and attacks the Picard part of the mind, demanding dominance. The Lacutus personality is able to overpower all the other minds and then takes control over Picard's body as well. Speaking to Dr. Salar, he demands that she lets him free, otherwise he will kill Picard's body. Salar is unsure what to do next. Meanwhile, in engineering, Data creates a force field and then gasses all the other crew in the room. Security is unable to get to him due to the force field. Crusher goes through Data's dream journal to see if he's reliving any dream that he might have had. And she finds the one that he had prior to arriving at the planet where he was alone on the Enterprise and it blew up. She now fears that Data in his dream state is making this a reality by sabotaging the ship. On the planet, the leader of the Rebels is fired from his talk show gig and arrested by the security chief due to his connection with the Vulcan who was infected with the Shava. Back in Picard's mind, Picard is able to overpower Lacutus by having a mental anchor in the real world. He has been focusing on the imagined four lights above Lacutus' head. This has enabled him to not give in completely to either the Shava or any of the other personalities, including Lacutus. Back in his right mind, Picard is able to complete the mind meld with Patient Zero, who is then cured of the Shava as well. She, in turn, has to go and touch all the infected crew, and everyone is safe again. Back in engineering, the newly healed Worf is somehow able to break through the barrier that Data created, just in time to cure Data of the Shava and Data be able to fix the ship before it explodes. Finally, on the planet, the Governor thanks the crew of the Enterprise, and she gives out awards to Worf and her security chief. Most of the people of the planet are now behind her, even though some are still not happy about her sexual orientation. The end. Wow. How handy. A thrill-packed... What? Oh, no, go ahead. A thrill-packed ending where the ship is in danger of destruction. And all hands lost. But it wasn't. They fixed it right at the last minute. They did. First time I've ever first time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah, so uh, Picard is able to overcome, in the end, Locutus. 
So the Chova becomes less of the challenge and Locutus comes to the fore. Well, would you have thought that was going to happen? No. And in fact, uh, you know, when uh, Cayman says, you know, as soon as they, they knock out Shava in like two panels... And then came in's like, well, I didn't think that would be that easy. I was sitting there thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, I didn't think it was going to be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that was a twist I wasn't expecting. Lacutus then trying to take over, right? And then in the end, it was Car- Picard's um, torture at the hands of a nasty Cardassian that was able to give him the key to finally overcome Locutus. Uh you know again you mentioned this uh, in the previous episode um they the author definitely likes to show his uh his credentials when it comes to Star Trek knowledge so he again does it here although I must say the idea that Locutus was able to just like stab Cayman uh you know another mental uh personality inside of Picard's head was kind of like really okay um and I suppose it's supposed to be like you know not not really stabbing him in the back but somehow uh he's doing it and that's just how it's being visualized but it's like right yeah yeah and then it looks like yeah he stabs him and then it looks like maybe he electrocutes um everybody else to kind of yeah to get them down. So, I, yeah, I kind of yeah. skipped that in the synopsis because it was really just, you know, mental projections of, of what was going on. So I just kind of just right. summed yeah, it up to that. He not, he somehow overpowered all of them. Exactly. Yeah, so Sarek, the Sarek figure, gets shocked or something. Yeah. The main point is he overcame them. And then, uh, so what, Picard was so distraught over Cayman dying or something, um... That's how he became disabled or something? Well, right. anyway, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so he was he was worried that he would have lost all those memories forever, I guess. Right, which of course, oh. yeah. So so that, there was some gravitas to that, right? Because the whole point of that, that probe that uh, took over Picard and beamed all that into his head and basically had him live a life of theirs. I mean, the whole point of all of that was the last gasp of the uh, civilization wanting to live on, at least in someone's memory. Right. Even in aliens. Right. So that was kind of important. Uh, So I could understand why Picard would be upset about that. But it all worked out because he was playing the flute at the end, so he he retained (laughs) all those memories. Uh, Right. Yes, playing the flute at the end uh, with the stargazer in the background of his office. Love seeing that towards the end. Right. Um, so the Chover incarnate in Picard's mind in the final uh, battle, uh, was that actually Jatran or just some some random uh, alien? No, I think it was just... I think it was just another alien. I told you they all look alike, so... Well, yeah, except for the horns, but that doesn't really narrow it down perfectly. So right. I, I compared the drawing of Jatran to the incarnation of the Chova. And, you know, I couldn't I couldn't tell for sure if they were the same, but they look similar. They both had one horn, I'm pretty sure, um, as opposed to three or two. 
Yeah, now and... Chitran is the uh, the rebel leader, right? The, yeah, the yeah. He's the, he's the talk show host, right? The the, the nasty, the, the big heavy evil guy, right? Right. Uh, I don't know. They definitely have the same amount of horns, and and he could potentially have, you know, he he recreated the Chava, so he could have created it in his image. Yeah. And the physical form that the Chava might take in Picard's mind, I mean, that could be totally a manifestation of Picard's own mind. Right. I don't know. The the Chavas uh, looked more endowed than uh, Detran does, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. (laughs) Okay. You mean in the uh, breast area? Right. And the costume's a little different, so... Oh, okay. You did spot costume differences. Okay. Not that it matters that much. I was just wondering. Right. Okay, so um, something that kind of surprised me is that the entire security team knows how to shut data off. Right. Which, was that something? I mean, as I remember the episode where um, Crusher, Dr. Crusher, uh, was, data told her where to shut him off or on. And I think that was part of like a like a checkup or, or something that had to be done. And yeah, she's a medical person. The, the lore blah, blah, blah. episode. Okay. Okay. Fine. So she knows how to do it, and I thought that was like a confidence, like yeah. you know, like Data says, "Well, if you had an on- off switch, would you want people to know about that?" Yep. And uh, so I thought that was a confidence between those two. I, I don't remember her in the series disclosing to the entire security team how to shut Data off. Did, did right. that happen? I, I do think at one other point she had to tell somebody else. Um, okay. But I don't remember Worf being that person, and then even if he was, would he then go out and tell everybody? Because yeah, <laughs> she says, Worf has taught us all how to turn him off. Yeah. So, yeah, I had the same question. Right. Because that'd be kind of important information. And if this woman was tasked with uh, following data... Uh, she she didn't do a very good job because he went all the way into engineering and wow. then was able to shut the doors and, and throw up the barricades. I mean, it, did he do it as soon as he stepped foot in there and she just, being two steps behind him, couldn't get in there too? Um, I think that's what happened because even uh, Barkley. Barkley was closer to Data than uh, uh, than she was. But, I mean, he was in engineering when, when Data came in. Right, okay. So... She she was following him at a at a distance, but really, okay. you know, oh, go follow data. I said, oh, okay. And what do you want me to do after that? It's like, <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? It's data. You know, he can he can beat the snot out of Wharf. What are you gonna do, chick? Anyway, a lady. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So it was interesting how Crusher had to take over. Doctor Crusher had to take over. Uh, data was compromised. Uh, Riker, pfft, he's been out of the episode for a while. Um, dreaming of Alaska. Dreaming of Alaska, probably his home state. And uh, yeah, so that's that's cool. I mean, Doctor Crusher's been in charge a few times before and pulled everybody's fat out of the fire. So yeah, she is a full-fledged commander, so she she should be able to do that. Exactly, and she has. So, and doesn't she go out? Doesn't she go on to command her own like medical ship or something? Uh, that was in the uh, the fake future. Oh no! In in, in Nemesis, they said that's what she's going to do. Okay. But then she ends but, up not doing it because she then goes back to the Enterprise. 
to be with they, Picard. And they get married. Oh, how Spoiler. Nice. Spoiler alert. Okay. So, um, so explain this to me. So, I'll try. The patient zero, she's a, she's a she's a touch telepath. Mm-hmm. In the last issue, she kind of didn't she kind of figure out that how she got infected and kind of remembered how she got infected. And that's why they uh, arrested the trend. But I thought she kind of was able to keep it at bay. But here she's like jumping on people and and kind of acting crazy again. But somehow Dr. Salar doesn't get infected when she goes around touching people yeah. and patient zero. I mean, she's yep. carrying around patient zero and did a mind and did a neck pinch, but she never gets infected. Yep, that's right. I thought you got it. <laughs> yes, well, convenience. Come on, man. You can't have everyone infected. Jeez. Okay, so it's just maybe she was infected. But she was just hoping that Picard would cure it in time to uh, uh, before she started showing symptoms. Maybe, maybe that's it. The infection was early in the early enough stages she could hold it together. Mm. All right, let's go with that. Let's do that. So, um, in the final minutes of Jitran's uh, freedom before he's arrested, there's a lady-looking alien in there. And it turns out her name's Hart. And I remember Hart, H A apostrophe R T, in like the first episode, or was it the second episode? Anyway, early in the story, where that seemed to be the Jatran follower that had like doubts about things. I could have sworn that looked like a guy. Uh, you know, not necessarily like a young guy. Uh, he might have even had facial hair, but. By this point, Hart definitely looks like a lady. Um, where where she's suggesting that you know maybe we should get off the planet, you know? Right. They're likely to find out what's going on at this point. Um, and I'm pretty sure uh, the gender, the look of that person had evolved a little bit from the first issue to the last. I could be yeah. wrong. Uh, I don't know, man. They all look alike. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have a hard time. Yeah, they do. They're kind of weird looking. Uh, okay, I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, I, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about this one. So I really liked how even in the first panel of the Picard's dream, the meetup of of all the people, mm-hmm. that there's always those th- four lights in the background, and you don't really even notice it. You just think that, oh, it's just the lights or a star or something because it, it, it's, it's subtle that those four lights are behind it, behind uh-huh. Picard at all time. Right. And then it's not until, you know, you realize that he's been projecting those four lights this whole time because of the, the torture and that was his mental anchor. I, I thought that was really good. I was, in, I was impressed that they snuck that past me, that I didn't catch it on those first several pages. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't remember. I didn't remember the significance of it. I mean, when they actually went in and were showing the Cardassian, um, played by what? I think it was played by Warner, the actor. Um, anyway, it's an actor that's played a lot in in Star Trek. 
mm. uh, as Klingons and, and other things. Anyway, when they showed him, it was like, oh yeah, the torture one. That's where that's from. Uh, I didn't remember about the uh, the whole dot thing until they reminded me. So even more so, I would not have recognized what those four dots were. But yes, that was good that they had that back there. So yet another facet of the fascinating mind of Picard. Right. That was he, in play. He really is a tortured soul. Uh, yes, but he soldiers through it to be captain of the USS Enterprise. All right, so last thing, Data's dream. So we oh, really God. harped on how did Data – how was Data having these nightmares before yeah. they even got to the, the yeah. planet? And did it the somehow is... tie in? Yeah. Major coincidence. Complete coincidence. It had nothing to do with Chova. Nope. He just happened – one of the thing, many things he is trying to get used to his emotion chip is dreaming and getting used to dreams. It's totally random. Yes. Actually, this is before he installs the emotion chip. This is just his dream program. I thought he has his emotion chip in. No, he doesn't put the emotion chip in until Generations. This is right before Generations. Okay. Okay. So he, do, he does not have the emotion chip, but he does have his dream program, and, and that's but what... It, in his dreams, he's feeling emotions. So right. how is that happening? He's dreaming of emotions, Ken. He's not really having them. Don't buy it. <laughs> Don't buy it. Okay. Yeah. So the emotion ship was such a big deal that he had to have hardware. Yet he's experiencing emotions in a software in a dream program. Okay. Right. Okay. It's like a virtual reality. He's getting virtual reality dreams and yeah. emotions. Okay. They're not his emotions. They're they're like That's fine. That's fine. None of this is real. So let's just Let's just let's just go with it. Anyways, I was a little disappointed that it was just all a major coincidence. Yeah. But anyways, it allowed him to get taken over by a telepathic virus, so good job. Yeah, well the whole idea that he would be taken over by a telepathic virus period is is, is hard to swallow. Right. Almost as hard to swallow as Worf coming at the last minute and knowing exactly which chips to move around to drop the force field. But yeah, yeah, all he did was whatever. pull out a pull out a chunk of motherboard and barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not like that part at all. Yep. But save the it day. Was expeditious. So it was worth, it was worth you had to have Worf do something. But talk about somebody who's who's getting shortchanged is Jordy. I mean, wouldn't you think Jordy would be able to do something like that a little more effective than Worf? But when when he guessed, was he was he affected or was he one of the ones that got guessed? No, no, no. Jordy was affected. Jordy okay. was right behind Worf. Okay, okay. When they're both running into engineering, Jordy's right on Worf's heels. Right. Yeah, you would think that he would definitely be the one. You would think. Uh yeah. Eh, whatever. They're both heroes. Darn it. Yeah, but one got an award at the end and the other did not. Yeah, sorry. Too slow, Jordy. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to Invector? Let's do that. So Invector is uh, the first issue of a new story arc, and it is published date August 2000. Writer is K.W. Jeter, penciler 
Toby Cypress. Inks, Martin and Irwin. Colors, Dan Brown and Bad at sign, dollar dollar sign, and Wildstorm FX. Weird, weird naming for whatever the heck that, that bad at sign thing is. Letterer, Nachme Zand. Editor, Jeff Marriott. The cover features Japanese versions of Major Kira and Dr. Bashir, who, with Nog, are looking down on a particularly unattractive drawing of Quark, who is on his knees and ecstatic. What Ferengi would not be, given he is throwing five bars of gold-pressed latinum into the air, as if to say, there's plenty more where that came from. Quark appears to have his greedy little heart quite satisfied in this issue. Opening scene is in Deep Space Nine, constructed by the Cardassians, but currently controlled by the Bajorans in partnership with the Federation of Planets. The ever-popular words, drinks around the house, are being spoken. Surprisingly enough, they are being said by Quark in his own bar. Quark's customers are hesitant at first, expecting a trap, but the temptation is too great, and they make a run on the bar. Quark smiles as he watches his normally paying customers drink themselves into a synthaholic stupor. Meanwhile, acting Chief of Security Nog is showing Station Commander Colonel Kira Norris down into the bowels of the station to see something. Nog is very concerned over. Nog shows the Colonel a sabotaged reactor cooling fan. There are cuts in the huge blades that will likely fail soon after the reactor is brought back online. Luckily, the reactor is currently in shutdown. Nog tells the Colonel there are 56 similar acts of sabotage he has found so far, spread throughout the station. The engineering staff only know about a few of them. Kira asks Nog to keep quiet about this for now and to have a full report on her desk in 13 hours. As Kira makes her way to the command center, she notices the hubbub at Quark's and hails Nog to attend to it right now. At the command center, Kira asks if they, are, if they have heard from the Defiant. An officer states they have not, to which Kira says the least Starfleet can do if they want to keep Defiant assigned at DS9 is to have her commanded by a punctual officer. Nog arrives at Quark's, and he does not believe what he finds. His uncle has been generous? Back at the command center, they spot a Romulan shuttle approaching the base, traveling under diplomatic pass. When they report to Kira that a xenobiological researcher named Moss Sene is aboard, Kira blandly states, I said I don't need any more problems. In Quark's bar, Nog grabs his uncle's arm as he is offering a collateral free loan to one of his customers. Uncle, what are you doing? Nog asks Quark, what about profit? What about the rules of acquisition? Quark explains there are new ways of doing business. He says building market share is more important. You're scaring me, Nog says with a slight quaver in his voice. A call comes over Nog's comm badge from Colonel Kira to go to Cargo Bay 12 immediately. On his way out, Nog bumps into Dr. Bashir, who he asks to watch out for Quark, 
I think it's serious. At the cargo bay, Nag accompanies Kira as she accosts Moss Sine and his men, who are unloading large crates of cargo from Sine's ship. Kira tries to convince Sine to hit the road, but she can't force him to do anything since the Romulans and Federation are allies now. Since the Federation gave Sine permission to close off part of the station to establish a secret laboratory of some kind, Kira's hands are tied and Sine knows it. All Kira can do is walk away and order Nog to keep an eye on Sine and his researchers. Back at Quark's, the proprietor is continuing to encourage his customers to drink up and enjoy themselves. When suddenly, Quark seems to snap out of it. When he discovers everyone is drinking for free in his place, he screams at them and tells the freeloaders to get out of his bar. When everyone is out, a tall alien with a data pad the shape of a coffin, hands it to Quark, saying he kept track of all the free drinks and no interest, no collateral loans he made, just like Quark asked. When Quark reads it, he faints straight away. Luckily, Dr. Pashir is there to render aid. Nag is in his office, concerned over what is on his more conventionally shaped data pad. He receives word from Dr. Bashir about his uncle, who is resting in the infirmary. He thanks the doctor and says he will be by when he can. Nog goes to Kira's office and hands his report to her, saying all the evidence of deliberate damage points to one person. He is concerned over it, as is the colonel. She dismisses him, saying she needs to think about what to do about this. Sine enters Kira's office, saying he knows more about the sabotage than Kira does. She makes it clear that she does not want his help and will somehow find a way to get him kicked off the station if he does not stay out of her business. He leaves but says on his way out that they will speak again. In the infirmary, Dr. Bashir tells Quark there is nothing physically wrong with him. Quark says he is now in debt. How will he get back all of those unsecured loans? Bashir says he does not know, but he does say that the only one that can help Quark at this point is someone that treats mental illness. Quark is not amused. Later in Quark's, Dax is telling Julian that Quark's psyche evaluation is normal, for a Ferengi. Quark comes by with a broom, trying to make headway in cleaning up his damaged bar. Quark says he is financially ruined. Not only that, but his reputation as a Ferengi is totally ruined. Once word of this recent generosity gets out. Meanwhile, in a closed-off part of the station, a Romulan enters a sealed room easily. After looking around the building, the Romulan states the Veroid has penetrated its target host more deeply than he had anticipated. He coolly says, this should be interesting. A customer of Quark's that took a loan of 50 strips of gold, pressed latinum, is followed by a tall figure with some kind of mask on. The tall figure kills the former customer of Quark's. Later Quark finds a stack of gold pressed latinum on his desk, with a note that says, This one is paid in full. More to come. Scene shifts to San Francisco, where Miles O'Brien 
is in his new private residence unpacking. The door chime sounds. Commander Triss Jast and two other Starfleet officers are at the door. O'Brien welcomes them in. O'Brien says his family is on vacation while he gets them settled into their new home. O'Brien says he's rather busy preparing to start teaching classes at the academy. The Bolian commander of the Defiant tells O'Brien that he will not have to worry about his teaching duties for a while. She arrests O'Brien and tells him he is coming back to DS9 to answer charges of sabotage. To be continued. Say it ain't so. It's so. uh, Sabotage. Miles would not do that. Uh, No, Miles would not do that. So what the heck's going on? Miles wouldn't do anything like that. Quark certainly wouldn't be giving money away. What is going on? And I'm sure that that guy in the mask would not have normally killed that poor guy just for taking a loan. I would would think so. And by the way, I assume he's dead, but maybe he just got beat up. Right, yeah, you don't know. I'm not sure. He's he's on the ground, though. And I don't see him breathing. No, but it is a comic. Oh. (laughs) It's kind of hard to tell. Um, so uh, Commander Jast so yes, we, Commander we've Jast. been debating on whether Bolians were also bald as female yes. this proves it, they are well, at least this one so you're just saying it's a choice? well, that or else they also wear wigs hmm. so either they shave their head for social reasons. I think we've said this before. Or they wear wigs sometimes. Because uh, we, well, we've ha- we've seen comics, even recent comics, that yeah. have shown them with some hair. Yeah, and that's what made us. Hair. That's what made us wonder if it was a. a if choice. we were just uh, well, I think we were just saying maybe all females were bald, uh, had hair, but here that's not the case. Yeah, well, well, Jazz had Jazz is bald. Right. And at first, I didn't know it was a female. But then when it pulled out a little bit, it's like, oh, I, I kind of see. Yeah, female. Right. Yes. So she is a... She is... I, I get the feeling there might be some thing they're not too crazy about. What, that Jazz doesn't like the commander? Yeah. I think they might have a little bit of issue or something. Because Maybe. definitely Kira is saying she's not punctual. That seems like kind of a a whiny little thing to <laughs> to have an issue with, but... Right, so remind me, was Jast ever in the in the show, in the TV Not show? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, but you're more the expert on DS9 than me. I didn't I didn't remember her, but no. she is in the novels, the the post season seven novels. So oh, I was thinking, well, maybe I just missed her in the last. It's been you know ten years since I've seen that last episode sure. of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I was like, well, maybe I just don't remember her. Them saying that she was going to be the new commander of the Defiant. No. I, I okay. think whoever was going to uh, be the commander of the Defiant or kind of like the, uh, well, the Wharf, whatever, um, they never talked about that. Okay. I, I don't think. I think that was one of multiple threads that were left hanging uh, at the end of the series. Okay. I think. Right. That's what I think. So, and speaking of that, this is interesting because this, is, this book, I never read the post DS9 series novels. So this is my first taste of a post uh, TV series DS9, uh, where Kira's in charge and 
things have changed and uh, so it's kind of interesting seeing the new situation and I can't say that I swallow everything like Nog why would Nog be security chief I mean I mean I guess by now he's out of the academy right right yeah so he was a uh, engineer in towards the end of the series he was okay right okay so so at the end of the series, he was out of the academy. I mean, because I know he came back to DS9 to do his what sophomore year or something, or right, right. So actually, no, he wasn't security. His his or engineering. His dad was engineering. I think right. he was security. He he worked with Worf. Oh, okay, okay. So that makes more sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember him being security, which is kind of funny, quite frankly. Why? Because he's tiny. <laughs> I mean, you know, Worf is security. He can handle himself. Odo, no problem. Uh, I mean, there's lots of times where Odo's having to arrest people that don't really like the idea, and then he's able to do his Mr. Fantastic thing or whatever to uh, make his wishes come come true. But a little Frankie, it's like, you know, they're not known for their physical prowess. No, but he has a phaser, so he's all good. That's the phaser is the great equalizer. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> um, and of course, the cleverness is is good. I mean, you know, because he's figuring out a lot of things here. He's noticing things. I mean, he's the guy that discovers the sabotage, so he's got his eyes open. He's clever. Right. I'm just saying, physically, he's not the best match. And by the way, I don't remember the end of DS9 from a from a Odo standpoint. I don't remember Odo like going off somewhere. I thought it was more like like Odo and Kira were gonna get together or something. Uh, no, actually, Odo went back to be with the founders. And, oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a it was a uh, bittersweet moment because they they both loved each other, but that was the best thing for him. So he okay. he, he went and lived with them, and they had that that whole farewell. You know, she went down to the planet said goodbye to him and then he melted into the pool of founders and she left mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> gets me. Uh, I don't remember any of that oh well <laughs> okay cool so uh, so that all makes sense um, yeah it's why a lot that... of people don't like the last episode of Thief Space Nine because Odo and Kira don't get together yeah. Uh, Cisco, Cisco gets married, has a baby and then goes off to, to be with the wormhole aliens and leaves both both of his kids and his wife. Yep. You know, it, it, it's it's not the happy ending that uh, you get with, you know, Next Generation and, and Voyager. Right. Well, that's kind of cool that they didn't necessarily pander the audience. They right. went with endings that they thought were better. Best for the characters. Right. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, I will say that one of the things I like about this issue is it sets up multiple mysteries. And we've already mentioned a few of them. Uh, may I list them off? Please. Uh, Quark's behavior, giving everything all away. Um, who's the mysterious stranger that's helping Quark get back uh, all this stuff? And the first thing I was kind of thinking of, kind of tall guy, uh, you know, uh, some kind of weird weird metal face mask or something on. looked very odd. Um, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if that was Morn? But, who knows. Um, That'd be awesome. 
<laughs> Who's doing the sabotage on the station? Why did O'Brien leave DS9? Just to teach at the academy? Why was Nog selected as chief of security? Whatever. I guess I mentioned that already. Um, and then... Uh, okay, and then my last, my last mystery was why did Odo leave, but that was my own lack of memory of the last episode of DS9. So right. I know now. And Miles and Keiko leaving was also in the last episode, so... Oh, uh, interesting. They, okay. they were they were on their way out, too, if they didn't already leave before the last episode. So this was... Did they specify that he was going to go to teach at the academy, or...? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. He was going to okay. teach, and she was uh, going to do some botany thing also okay. at the academy. Maybe okay, work cool. with Boothby. I don't, I don't remember the specific... Boothby. <laughs> 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 okay. Anyway, there was... Uh... There were some nice mysteries uh, set up. So that I think from a writing standpoint, I like I like this this issue. Okay. Yeah, no, I am definitely wondering who who some of those uh some of those folks are. Uh, I didn't remember the whole Romulan having a sealed lab, so that was new. That that was somewhat new to me and and you know, definitely what is it doing there, and uh, why is it making people act weird? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I need to know the answer. Damn it. Okay, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the art, shall we? You, and how much you loved it. <laughs> um, I was I was taken aback by it. So, from the looking at the first cover where I could kind of recognize Bashir, but it doesn't look like Bashir. And then Kira, it's like, well, obviously it's Kira, but my fa- my God, the face. I mean, and she's got, I mean, she, she, she has rather small eyes and the mascara's on really sharply. I mean, she, she looks like a, a Japanese version of herself was drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Nog and Quark, I mean, you know, they look like hobgoblins. Which you had mentioned before about how people don't look that good and look kind of like the monsters or something, and the Frankies definitely don't look good. Right. So the bo- the bottom line is very different drawing style. Um, they didn't seem to take. They seemed to think the the artist placed more value on the particular style, uh, his personal. Uh, drawing style and maybe trying to create something new here than trying to have characters or even ships look like their original uh, TV show counterparts. Right. Yeah, so I, I kept thinking uh, that he, that this this artist, I mean, it, it looks a lot like uh, Hellboy art. Like, uh, oh, Hellboy. Huh. Yeah, Mike, uh, oh man, I forgot his name. Starts with an M. I should know it. But anyways, he has a very distinctive style, and you know, like his Hellboy, very you know, prominent forehead and, and things like that. And when I was looking right. at these Ferengis and a lot of the other aliens, just kind of in the background at the bar, I was like, this looks a lot like Hellboy. So then huh. I went back and looked at the artist, and I'm like, no, that's not him. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm wondering if he's just in that same that same style, maybe. Right. This uh this gentleman Toby Cyphers he uh he has done some other comics that I've read uh, he did a uh, Predator miniseries um 
which is is pretty interesting if you uh, if you can think of the way he's drawing these Ferengi and then picture him drawing the the predator. Mm-hmm. It uh, also gives the you know a unique look to those characters too, right. or those those aliens. Right. So I don't know. It, it took some getting used to. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be seeing this every week, <laughs> every issue, every month, whatever. But um, ah, it's different. Right. I say that much for it. Heavy inking too. So uh, it's like really heavy inking. Um, it's really dark. Yeah. Yeah, my only complaint about this kind of artwork is that, you know, a lot of the times it looks like it's unfinished. Like you see like stray lines, you know, that, and that's just the style. But like you could even see lines that are like creases on forehead, but it actually extends past their head. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like just a stray line or something. Um, sometimes that kind of takes me out of it when when it doesn't look like it's a finished finished picture. Right. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I, once I know who it is, I can kind of get past. Uh, it doesn't bother me as long as I can tell. Okay, that's Bashir. But when I have to really like uh, try to figure out who that person is and then go back and reread all the bubbles in in it being that person versus whoever I thought it was the first time, you know. Right. That I don't necessarily care for. So, how, like, for example, O'Brien. When you first see O'Brien near the end of the issue, I had no idea that was O'Brien. Oh, no. That didn't look like O'Brien. Yeah, no. And then, if, yeah, if the word Baloods didn't say that it was O'Brien, I would have just thought it was some Jimmy Olsen-looking dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just just some random civilian that popped up in, in the issue for some reason. Um, <laughs> so, really, in most ca- in most other books, we're whining... About how, like, maybe one or two panels, Picard doesn't look quite right, or, uh, <laughs> you know, Deanna doesn't look quite right. Look at her mouth. That's not right. And, and in this thing, it's, it's flipped. It's like, most of the panels look, really don't look like the original characters. And, like, maybe there'll be one where they throw us a bone and make the uh, person actually look like the original actor. Anyway, right. Anyways, different. It's you know, it's not as great as the watercolor look, but uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh well, even the even the Defiant. So it does show the Defiant finally coming to Earth, uh, apparently going over San Francisco. And um it seems like, you know how the nacelles come out from the sides the, the two left and right sides of of the defiant, mm-hmm. um, and that's not that pronounced in this in this rendition of it. It's quite pronounced, and they're even angled downward. Um, and right. it's like, no, no, you you want to mess up the people? That's fine, but not the ships. <laughs> and that ain't right. It just isn't right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that that was the defiant until. Uh... After I already read the second issue, then I went back and I was like, "Oh, that was the Defiant." I thought it was just a shuttlecraft that just happened to be flying over the <laughs> Golden right. Gate Bridge or the right. San Francisco Bridge or whatever. Well, uh, okay. Well, there you go. That's the danger of having too much artistic license. You're trying to communicate things to the audience, right? Anyway. So speaking of artwork, can I ask a question? Um, 
I think you're reading it off the PDF and not the actual comic, so... I'm definitely reading off the PDF. Um, if you don't mind jumping over to PDF page 6, I don't know what the actual page number is. Page but it's uh, the panel where Quark and and Nog are, are talking, you know, and Nog saying, but giving away drinks, making loans, they'll never get paid back, you know, th- that panel. Um, there's a green-skinned alien kind of in the corner... And I wanted you to look look at that that particular. Oh, guy. with the with the with the uh, number on his forehead. Yeah, what number? Zero eight nine zero one is tattooed yes. on this this guy's forehead. Right. Yes, exactly. Is there significance to that? Is it? Uh... <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. I do not. I did not even notice that guy, and I did not notice the number on his head. So. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time to work on this, but it does not appear to have any significance to me. It's not a date. Well, Is it, it? No. Zero eight nine zero one. I mean, it, it could have been a date, but if but what? this came out in two thousand, so it couldn't have been. Well, at yeah, first well, I was what? thinking August ninth, two thousand and one. That's what I was thinking at first. Oh, oh, okay. Well, and then I was okay. like, oh, well, that couldn't be the possible. That can't be possible because it hadn't happened yet. By the time this issue was released, yeah. so I don't, plus, I don't. Plus, it's an inconsistent way of writing the book. Yeah, I, and, I just thought it was like day. a little inside joke, a little Easter egg to maybe his daughter or somebody that was born uh, on August 9th, two thousand one. You know, I, that's what oh. I was thinking, but okay. uh, I have no idea what it is now. Yeah, I, I don't know. But it's an alien, and uh, I guess that particular alien has random numbers on his head, or is that his uh, social security number? I don't know. Ooh. That's a bad place to keep it, man. Yeah, hope, I know. Hope, hope he has life luck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if that if that has significance, I know not what it is. Interesting. All right. Um, I don't really have anything else on this. It was all kind of set up. What else do you have? I don't think I have, any, have anything else. But I am looking forward to what the heck's going on. I think that's actually the title of the next episode. Oh, the next issue. well, you'd better do what the heck's going on. Yes, so Deep Space Nine in Vector number two, entitled What the Heck is Going On? Not the real title. That's just my <laughs> title for it. Uh-huh. All right, I think the writing staff was all the same. All right, so this issue came out September of 2000. The cover shows Quark opening up a box, and a blobby Ferengi shape is kind of flowing out of it. Uh, kind of looks like a genie, maybe, but it looks like it's substance and not smoke. Very interesting cover. So the actual story starts off. Uh, there's an accident somewhere on the station, and several crew members are injured, and one is actually killed. The saboteur is still at work here on the station. Commander Jast is speaking with Kira and thinks Kira did the right thing by putting her in charge of the investigation. Kira states that she knows Miles is innocent, and when Jast finds out, she does not want it to look like Kira influenced the outcome. Later, Kira meets with Quark and talks about how several of the people Quark gave money to last issue are being beaten and robbed of the money that they borrowed. Quark says he knows nothing of this. She says he better find out, otherwise she will revoke his merchant's license. In the brig, Bashir meets with Miles about the sabotage. Bashir states that he knows Miles is innocent. 
Elsewhere, Quark is in his office when a man comes in and gives Quark more of the money that he lent out last issue. Quark demands to know who he is and why he's doing this. The man states that he's trying to help and hopes that they can do business together. Back in the Romulan lab aboard the station, Bashir meets with the Romulan scientist. He tells the doctor that he knows what's happening on the station. Miles did do the sabotage, but he's not responsible. He tells Bashir that there is a viroid called Invector, and that it can infect both organic and inorganic material. It had infected Miles, and then when Miles came in contact with these parts of the station, the station became infected. The parts of the station that are infected start to decay, which is looking like the sabotage. He has a plan on how to trap the viroid. Meanwhile, Quark and his mysterious friend come to an agreement. Quark will help the man get some merchandise off the station. As they are loading the shuttle with some of the man's boxes, Quark opens one and a blobby Ferengi flows out. The man snaps the case shut and throws Quark up against the wall and tells him in no uncertain terms that he needs to mind his own business. They are partners, but he needs to mind his own business. At one of the sites of the sabotage, the Romulan scientist is telling Bashir that if Bashir touches the metal, the Viroid will be intrigued by Bashir's genetically enhanced body. Once the Viroid is in Bashir, the Romulan will put Bashir into a simulated death, thus trapping it. Then, the Viroid can be extracted and Bashir can be revived. Bashir takes the hypo with the medication that will help trigger the death state. He turns his back to the Romulan and injects himself. Then, he touches the metal and becomes infected. The Romulan tries to trigger the medication to start the induced coma, but Bashir does not go down. Bashir tells him that he did not actually inject himself, and that he was already infected before he even met with the Romulan. To be continued. Ha! Viroid! Fascinating! Uh, the exact nature of this viroid is um, intriguing me. So, for the Romulans' plan to work, would Bashir have to go and touch every piece of the station that's infected, <laughs> go into a death state, get get the viroid pulled out of him, and then move on to the next the next part of the station? That is a confused. that is a very logical question. And and I think we're still just trying to figure out what the nature of this viroid is. I mean, definitely, um, what's an A? Is that the, the, the Romulan guy? Right. Romulan doctor. He seems to think that he can trap it by bringing it into Bashir. But, um, like you say, is, is the nature of the viroid that it's one entity that's in one place? Or is it more the kind of thing that seems to kind of spread itself around a bit? Well, now that we know that, Bash- that Bashir's been infected the whole time, it has to be something that's spread around because he said that once the Viroid is taken out of the you know the fan blades, that mm-hmm. all that metal will revert back to its you know pre-infected state, right? Which sounds like crap. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I'm with you because. <laughs> I mean, come on. But I mean, obviously, this uh, this this place was still you know 
all these different places are still all bent up in and f- infected looking so it's it's spread and, exactly. and Bashir's now got it too so that means that there's multiple instances of it right and who's this uh, Dracula looking guy that's got uh, Quark dangling on the uh, thread or the, the the leash I mean right I mean is he, is he a, a person uh, a human who's been infected by the Veroid also or is this thing somehow the embodiment of the Veroid independent of a host? Which I don't think is the case. I think the Veroid is in this person that just so happens to look like Count Dracula. Um, and he's inside of Bashir. And he was inside of uh, Quark. And that's what made him do what he did. And now we know for sure that's uh, what got Miles to do what he did. So, anyway, right. so it's a little confusing but this Veroid seems to be multiple places. Also, notice that the, the Dracula-looking guy with um, Quark acts like something happened to him, and that is the exact same time as all this stuff is going on between Sene and um, Bashir, and we find out Bashir is actually taken over. What do you mean so, he acts like something happened to him? Well, uh, so there's some telepathy, uh, telepathy going on here. So let me get to the exact panel. Yeah. Oh, it's there. Because the last scene with him and Quark is when Quark opens up the box, the blob Ferengi plops out, and then the guy shuts the shuts the box and throws him up against the wall and says, you know, we're partners, but you need to mind your own business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he walks off. I, I didn't catch any telepathy going on. And that's yeah. right before Bashir touches the touches the metal. Yeah. Okay, so this is page 17 of the PDF. Okay. And there, on page 17 of the PDF, um, it's got a shot of uh, Quark and Count Dracula hanging out together. And then uh, Quark says, what is it? What's wrong? And then the Dracula guy says, there's nothing wrong, nothing at all. And yeah. I I took that as he is in telepathic contact with Bashir, because you'll see directly beneath that panel is, uh, you know, that great, actually, I think it kind of looks kind of cool. Basically, Bashir with shadows over his, his, uh, his eyes and, like, light coming out of it. He looks kind of like a robot or something. He looks like he's wearing so, the Batman cowl. We just don't see the horns. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That could be too. But the main point is, uh, <laughs> and then of course there's where Sinai is saying, "Wait a minute, something's going wrong." So it's so that's where I'm saying there is some kind of telepathic contact between Count Chocula and uh, and Bashir. All right, good point. I, I didn't I didn't remember that part. So and, 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 and if that's not it, too. and if that's not well, <laughs> and if that's and if that's not it, then I don't know why they bothered, you know, with with, with saying what's wrong. Yeah, well, and, we, and that's we, a, that's that's a very good point, right? So it also shows, for no good reason, Miles is in the panel in the upper left hand corner. Miles is like Miles is like turning like huh, and then we got uh, then we got Quark with. Count Chocula, and then the next panel is Count Chocula saying there's nothing wrong. So yeah, they're all they're all. So Miles is still infected. 
Hmm, interesting point. I didn't catch that. Yeah, maybe he still has a residual or whatever. Maybe it doesn't yeah. leave the body like like the Romulan thought. Right. So maybe it just stays dormant. So it's still in Quark also. Oh, good point. Then why didn't he feel the 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 pull or whatever? Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and why? I mean, and I missed this in the synopsis, um, but. Quark does realize that those boxes that he's carrying came from the Romulan uh, lab, so these are being smuggled out of the Romulan lab somehow, and it inc- and when he opens it, the, the blobby Ferengi pops out. So it kept, I kept wondering, is this some, are these changelings? And, you know, because the Ferengi opened the box, that was the first face it saw, and it was trying to form what it thought a Ferengi would look like. So I, I keep wondering if this is some sort of like Romulan changeling, uh, a, a Romulan experiment on changelings and stuff like that that they were doing during the war. Hmm. Interesting. But why? That's an interesting theory. Yeah, but but I don't understand the te- the telepathy part, and I don't understand the how it can affect metal and start warping it. Yeah. But it does keep saying it can change, uh, you know, forms and. Changelings can look like inorganic and organic things, so that's that's the direction I'm going. I think that this is some sort of black ops experiment that they were doing on maybe a captured uh, changeling. Interesting. Yeah, I, d- that is an interesting explanation. It it doesn't explain how it's controlling Quark. At the beginning of the series. Right. But, yeah, that's possible. But, okay. So, so you're saying it's turning... It's a, it's a some kind of changeling spin that's turning into Quark? Or that's turning into Bashir? And there's actually the real Bashir sitting somewhere? No, I'm thinking more... And this is 100% speculation, so... I mean, I'm obviously not going to be right, but... <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, the, the way I was thinking it, it was like, you know, Romulans are always making secret weapons and stuff, and then maybe what if they somehow got a hold of a, a changeling, and right. they're trying to weaponize the changeling. So they're taking, you know, the the morphic properties of a changeling and, and mixing it with a virus, and then somehow, and somehow uh, infecting both living and an organic... Living and inorganic uh, material to you know bend it to to whatever they wanted it to do, and and maybe it's not working as designed. And obviously, he seems a little surprised on 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 a few things that pop up in this issue. So right, that, that would support that theory. But that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, what if uh, the the dude that's helping Quark? What if he's you know trying to free the furring uh, the the changeling that's being experimented on or something like that and that's what was in that box but I don't know I'm, I'm 100% speculation right well uh, we'll we'll find out definitely the true nature of this Veroid I just hope that they're cons- they stay consistent about it and they don't just kind of throw out a bunch of wacky ideas as this moves on and uh, you know I just wanted to be a tight story right w- which I thought the the last issue, the last miniseries, didn't succeed in that. The, no. I thought the first three issues were pretty good, and then the last issue was 
really kind of its own thing. And, yeah. you know, the the turmoil and stuff going on the planet really had nothing to do with the outcome of the story. Sure. Yep. So I'm hoping this, this stays consistent. So far, it's good. I'm liking it. Yeah, I'm liking it, too, uh, story-wise. So I like the idea that uh, they're making the Veroid guy working with Quark, uh, or using Quark, um, kind of like a Dracula kind of thing. I mean, he's even got, like, uh, well, he's got the black outfit, of course, like kind of like a cape and things like that. But he's even got, like, ruffled uh, a ruffled shirt on, you know, ruffles, you know, so he looks... Yeah, so... I, I kind of like what they're planting in your mind about some of the tropes they're kind of using in here, uh, making you think certain things. I do like it. So, obviously, the whole thing with Quark in the beginning, so the Veroid took over Quark, and Quark is giving away everything, um, and then that's the setup. Then Quark snaps back to normal, and I assume it's Quark snapping back to normal as opposed to there being a separate creature that was impersonating Quark. Right. Um, but who knows? Um, and now it's got Quark in the position that uh, the Veroid can take advantage of him to somehow magically get his hands on this stuff from the Romulan's lab. So, and, and so Quark was that uniquely able to get these boxes, that that's why the Veroid went through all that? To get leverage on Quark? Don't know. Well, that's, I mean, he, he is a KG Ferengi, so... He's a KG Ferengi, and he has a tendency of being able to get his hands on things that nobody else can, but it's like, this Veroid guy looks like a pretty resourceful guy, too. Especially if he can take over people. And why was he wearing... I mean, if it's the same guy, which we don't know 100%, but I'm assuming it is... Why was he wearing the helmet in the first issue, and then in this issue he's uncovered? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And I don't get the I I, or I don't I don't get the Count Dracula thing. I mean, aside from him being tall, but well, I mean, are you are you saying it just because he has the little freely things on his sleeves and collar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he looks he looks kind of like uh, you know. A, Count Dracula is always formally dressed, you know, especially the Bela Lugosi one. He looks like he's, you know, going to go to a formal ball or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the costume looks like a Dracula costume to me. Okay. I mean, why I didn't see that. I just thought it was an alien. I mean, uh, yeah, just I, I see what you're saying, so I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying yeah. I didn't see it. Yeah. I didn't think Dracula when I was reading this. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay. Well, um, yeah, he's kind of like a Dracula Shogun kind of thing. Because isn't his his hair kind of pulled up into some kind of ball thing? Yes. A little top knot? Yeah, yeah, top knot. Is that it? Yeah, top knot. Anyway. So, uh, all quite interesting. So, just keep it tight, guys. I want to see this all come together in a nice, uh, a nice fine next. Was it two more issues? Four two issue total. Yeah. Yep. So. Keep it yeah, tight. Yeah. So uh, this uh, this writer, J W Jeter. Mm-hmm. K W Jeter, excuse me. Okay. He's written um, he's written uh, some Star Wars novels. He wrote some Star Trek: Deep Space Nine uh, post season seven novels. 
Huh. Um, he was the one chosen by um, the Philip K. Dick uh, Trust or, or whoever controls his literary works to write right. sequels to uh, Blade Runner. Or, oh, really? Uh, yeah, so huh. he, he wrote a few novels um, that kind of continued that storyline. Uh, so, I mean, he, he's an established sci-fi author, so it, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the story's going to stick together. Good. Excellent. Well, that's impressive. What else you got? Okay, one last point. So, uh, when Jast and Kira are meeting in uh, Kira's office, uh, I, I kind of like the fact that they're like two lionesses kind of fighting over territory. So, they don't like each other. Antagonistic. I kind of like that. Right. Um, although it's it's weird, it's interesting. It's kind of like uh, Kira's being put in a position that she's got to prove herself as the commander to some Starfleet people, uh, Jast in particular. Right. And it's like everything Kira did. I mean, she was running the station for plenty of time um, while Cisco was out of the picture. Sure. So I I don't think she has anything to prove, but uh, it's kind of interesting that they're bringing that. Um, that dimension into it. Well, Jast is just kind of not a nice lady. No, she isn't. But she also, but she seems to be. I mean, she seems to be very professional and stuff. But um, it sounds she's making it sound like she's not the only one who may not like the idea of the station being controlled by a Bajoran. Thinks Starfleet should be in charge. Right. But it's like, come on, it's their it's their station. It's it's it was around their planet, so it's in their star system. So, right. Uh, you know, back off, guys. Yeah, I always right. thought. Ulti- I always thought ultimately, um, Starfleet was in there at Deep Space Nine as as a, a non permanent measure. You know, until things settle down and the um, Bajorans could take over. That's what I right. thought the game plan was. But I yeah, guess I that all that changed with the uh, wormhole. With the wormhole, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Kira being in charge makes perfect sense. Right. And then eventually they will make it to the Federation, so it's a it'll be a non-issue then. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Okay, that's the last thing I have to say. Okay, cool. All right, well, then uh, we'll be back next week. We'll finish off this, plus we'll start off uh, Star Trek Next Generation, The Killing Shadows, number one. Oh, The Killing Shadows. Sounds good. Start, start off another uh, another series, another miniseries. Cool. Yeah, how are you liking these little miniseries? I'm liking them a lot. Yeah, yeah. They're fine. I mean, a lot of the regular... I mean, a lot of the regular runs with Marvel and that kind of thing. Many of them were multi-issue runs anyway. But then there were also standalones. But I, I kind of like the beefier stories that are accomplished with multi-parters. Yeah, the the only part the only part I don't like or that I I like better with the monthlies is you can do a little bit more of just having a panel or two of something going on and then not really do anything with it for, you know, two or three issues. Uh, it seems like you know you have more time to kind of flush out a story, oh, but and have it running parallel, right? Whereas yeah. if you're doing a miniseries, it's kind of like a movie. You have you have to tell the story in in this 
this a lot of time. Right. You know, it's kind of the difference between a movie and a TV series. A TV series, you could take a whole year to tell out a story and and have multiple stories going on at the same time, but but yeah. you know, end up with uh, you know, Dexter has to kill this serial killer. But you had all season <laughs> to, to get to that point. Where in a movie, yeah. you have two hours and you have to tell the whole thing. Right. Uh, so that's really the, the to me the big difference between a miniseries and a and a ongoing. Right. Of course, the idea that it's four or five parts hopefully would give you enough time to tell that story. But your idea, your point about overlapping, right, overlapping. kind of things. That's uh, that's a good point. Good point. Okay. Well, in that case, thanks for coming and listening to us, everybody. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. We'll see you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.